like facts have no place with an organized religion. Michael Graff. Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. I double dare you, motherfucker. Say what one more goddamn time. The zip code famous Michael Graff Show. Oh, you have got to be kidding, sir. First you think of an idea that has already been done. And then you give it a title that nobody could possibly like. The Michael Graff Show. Hi, it's a kite, everybody. Goofballs. How would you handle this? We could try ignoring it, sir. I see. Pretend nothing has happened and hope everything turns out all right in the morning. Just a thought, sir. I've considered that. Warning. The following broadcast is presented without the use of talking points, blatant hypocrisy, or Kool-Aid. You know, it's bad when this guy has to become the voice of reason. It's the return of the zip code famous Michael Groff Show. Yeah, I know. It's showtime. I got it. Just letting you rock out to some uh, groovy tunes here. Welcome in. It's another edition of the Zip Code Famous Michael Grav Show. Underway on a Tuesday, January 18th, 2011. Oh, man. What a day. All right. What a life. It's uh, Mike at KMGX.com. That is our email address. It is Mike at KMGX.com. All of our contact information and ways to donate monetarily to this program help keep us on the air, help keep us going strong. You know how to do it. The uh, donation links are right there on our website. The one, the only, MichaelGroff.com. Although, just as a gentle reminder, our PayPal address, Mike at KMGX.com. All right, the shameless self-promotion is out of the way. I know, pretty soon, uh, if I keep self-promoting enough, I- I'll be I'll be like Oprah. I'm speaking of Oprah. We have so much to talk about on the show today, but I just have to mention this. I know people think I pile on Oprah. I know that's the perception that people have of me, that I just... I do nothing but bag on poor Oprah. I, um, I'm just down on her completely. I know that that's what people think. I... I I respect somebody that's able to do what she's done, A this huge run on the air. It's not my cup of tea. It's definitely not my kind of programming. But she's definitely found a niche. She's made it work. Uh, and uh, she's she's had a really nice career. But I got to tell you something. You talk about a self-aggrandizing human being. Somebody that is just the epitome of pretentious that has got to be the Oprah moniker right there the epitome of pretentiousness and I say this because I don't know how many of you might have been aware of this how many of you might have seen this apparently according to the ratings not a whole lot of people but Piers Morgan he has a show now Piers Morgan he's the guy from America's Got Talent he's the British guy he's their version of uh, of Simon Cowell Apparently, in this country, we can only get British guys to have an opinion anymore because American guys just won't do it. They're just not opinionated enough. And so uh, you either have Simon Cowell, who's going to start his new show, uh, The X Factor, or you have that Piers Morgan, 
who's this sort of outspoken kind of British guy. So they decided they were going to give him a show on on uh, CNN. Larry King is done. I think finally somebody decided that maybe Larry King is just a little too old and senile to be doing a show anymore. Buffalo, you're on the air. So um, they they moved him out of there and they brought in this Piers Morgan. Now, the show is a lot different. It's not like Larry King Live, which was, well, live. It's uh, a pre-taped sort of section of interviews. And I think Piers Morgan's going to do some commentary as well. Anyway, so Oprah's on this show. And if you saw this interview, it is so pretentious, unbelievable. Uh, Oprah says, aren't you going to ask me what, what I'm best at? Piers? And he's like, hey, well, what are you best at? And it's like, oh my God, really? This is this is the kind of interview? Now, I know some of it was really a, a touching thing. I know I actually watched a lot of this. So, uh, apparently, uh, Oprah talks about her suicidal thoughts, and she talks about her depression and how bad it was for her in, her, in the early parts of her life, and certainly that's all something that uh, at least some of us can relate to. I know I can relate to certainly being down and depressed and all that. So, I get that. But, um, and, and, you know, part of me is like, okay, I, I get it. I really sort of got an understanding of the psychology behind Oprah now. I really am starting to get it. I get her whole kind of persona now. I'm not making this, I'm not being sarcastic. I know some people are going, oh my God, Mike, are you really talking about Oprah? Who the hell cares? But I really get it. I really get the psychology behind the Oprah persona not necessarily the pretentious side, although even part of me gets that. Here's here's what I've kind of come up with about Oprah. I I see it now. You know how Oprah is always on her show giving away stuff to the audience. She's she gave a bunch of people cars. She gave a whole bunch of people satellite radios. She gave everybody in the audience uh, a whole bunch of them. She brought to Australia with her. She's doing all these other various things, uh, giving them books, giving them all this stuff. And I always wonder, gee, you know, I think it's great that somebody of Oprah's stature and, and with her just immense amount of wealth is willing to share it. And I think that's wonderful. So I'm not putting that down. However, you do have to wonder the psychology of somebody that is really needs that acceptance to give away stuff all the time and to want that validation from the audience. She constantly wants the validation, not just on an not on an individual basis, because I think she gets that from from uh, Stedman and that and that Gail King, who she's clearly in love with, by the way. Um, she's there. Uh, she's she's always seeking more validation. And I think that's why she showers her audience with gifts so that they'll love her. And the reason for that is it goes back to her childhood. She talks about how bad it was for an upbringing that she had and and the idea of a, of a teenage pregnancy and the shame that would bring and the pressure that was put on her by her family, her father especially. So you see what happens as you grow up, you have that kind of pressure, you have that sort of uh, that, that relationship. And so now you're out there, you, you want to get the affection of your audience. You want the people just to love you so much. That's all you're interested in. You, you are only concerned with people with validation from these people. That is your primary concern. And that is the psychology behind Oprah. Now, the other part that I think is really weird is how much she mentions Gail King. Man, Oprah is in love with that woman. And I mean that sincerely. I think that Oprah really loves Gail King. I think that she is really in love with that woman. And I think it's really sad that she can't just come out and fully admit it. I mean, she says, oh, I love her, blah, blah, blah. 
but I mean like she loves her in a way that a man would love a woman. She loves her in the way that she loves her husband, Stedman, probably more because every sentence she sprinkles Gail King in. And I think maybe part of it is marketing and part of it is pushing the product and the Oprah brand, which is the other thing that Oprah does. Like every sentence she worked in how, you know, she's she's got the Oprah network now. She's got her serious uh, satellite radio, so her serious XM channel. But I mean, every second she's talking about Gail King and I just think it's sad that she can't come out and say, look, all right, here's the deal. Uh, you know, Gail King, uh, we're, we're lesbians. I mean, she can't just come out and say that, obviously. And uh, I think that's sad because, of course, the housefrau audience that watches her, the, you know, the, the, the people in flyover country, some, some couple in Des Moines, Iowa, some couple in Lincoln, Nebraska is not going to sit there. Did you see what Oprah said today? Did you see that? She said she's a lesbian. Oh, my God. We can't watch her anymore. She's a heathenistic troll. Ah, you know, that, that's just one of those things that would happen if she came out of the closet. So or even admitted that she has, you know, a, an attraction uh, to Gail King. So unfortunately, that's um, that's the Oprah story. I know I actually sat down and I watched this Piers Morgan interview. I, I, I feel kind of weird because I'm not into Oprah at all. I don't watch her show. Um, I find her to, again, generally be a pretentious person, kind of a fake person. And maybe it's not necessarily fake as much as it just is a need for acceptance and putting on something uh, different to be accepted and trying to be all faces in all places, which is kind of a phony thing. But the psychology behind it is really weird and it's really fascinating. And I think that's what I got out of this. I, I actually was a little bit introspective about this. I know you expect me to just come on and rip Oprah and uh, and I'm not really ripping her. I'm just telling you there is a, a whole set of psychological circumstances behind how she acts. Well, there's psychological circumstances behind everybody, but there are deep rooted psychological circumstances behind the whole Oprah phenomenon right now, clearly. All right, so that was one thing that I saw. Now, uh, there's a lot of other stuff going on, not just Oprah-related, but that's just sort of the first observation out of the box here that I got to today. We have a lot going on. There's a lot of news. First of all, that we had a shooting today at a high school in Gardena, California. I guess, is that the, the high school, I guess? Yeah, so here's what happened. A kid brought a gun to school. He dropped his bag. I guess the gun accidentally went off. Um... You know, a very similar thing happened to me my first week in high school, my freshman year. Kind of the same thing happened. A guy was carrying his duffel bag, dropped it on the ground, his gun went off, and he shot himself in the foot. That was that was the first week on a Friday, right at the end of the day. Everybody's leaving campus. Everybody's kind of walking through the hallways. This guy drops his gun. It, literally, my friend Jeff and I were 30 feet away, maybe 50 feet away from that guy when it happened. And uh, that was... A real good sort of first impression, first week impression of the high school I went to. And uh, you, you wonder why I carried a knife to high school. So this kid had a gun. It went off accidentally. There was no intent here, it seems. Uh, but he hit two students. And uh, now, obviously, this kid is uh, going to face uh, some pretty, uh, well, felony, felony charges, obviously. Two students, one is in critical, the other is in serious condition following the incident. 
And of course, now that we've had a story involving a gun in the last couple of weeks, again, that means it's time for the typical call to ban all guns everywhere. What's with America and their obsession with guns? How can we regulate guns? We need an assault weapons ban. Meanwhile, this wasn't an assault weapon, but you know, that's the that's the next call that's going to come out. We need an assault weapons ban. We need it right now. Come on, damn it. So that's what's going to happen. The, the, the left is going to come out. They are going to scream loudly about guns and how did a high schooler get guns? And clearly the parents were not responsible here. Meanwhile, we have no idea the circumstances surrounding this. And the other uh, prediction that I have here is Sarah Palin is somehow going to get blamed for all this. Sarah Palin, Sean Hannity, and right-wing talk radio. They're all, and conservatives in general, they're all going to get blamed for this incident. Because nothing can just happen in a vacuum anymore. Everything has to have a much more grandiose purpose and a much more grandiose cause. That's the nature of politics today. I'm sure that somebody, this this kid, uh, they're going to say that he listened to Glenn Beck. And that's why, that's why he did it. He was a listener of Glenn Beck, and that's why he brought his gun to school. Of course, that's going to be the new mantra. Now, of course, all of the usual questions are going to come out here as well. Like, what would possess a kid to bring a gun to school in the first place? What about these parents? And they're going to get trotted out before the media. And they're all valid questions. I'm not discounting that. But it's very easy to answer why a kid would bring a gun to school. Um, I don't tell people this very often. This is uh, something that I might have mentioned on the air years ago. But I'll tell you this, um, I used to bring a knife to school and I started doing that about my sophomore year. I, I think maybe even earlier than that, but I know by, by my second year in high school, sophomore year, I, I brought a knife to school pretty much every day. And of course, if anybody had ever caught me with that, I, I know I would have gotten in trouble for it, but it never became an issue. But I always carried one. Are you kidding? I felt like it was just part of the dress code. It was something that you did. Another one of my friends brought a knife. Um, one of my friends brought his nunchucks to school in his backpack. So, I mean, people, honest to God, people uh, would bring weapons to school. A lot of people. And, and I'm talking about good students. We were all good students. I was uh, kind of a nerdy kid in high school. I know. Imagine that. Imagine me. But, uh, the, you know, sort of the unpopular crowd. Actually, not even so much unpopular, just completely unnoticed. I'm one of those guys that... Um, if I ever became more than zip code famous, if I really became a, a big time radio personality with lots of money, everybody would come out and say, oh, yeah, my, we remember Michael Graff. He was the blind kid. And man, we liked him a lot, which is all just a bunch of horse crap. Um, uh, nobody ever noticed me or talked to me. And the few people that did just made fun of me. So I, I had like four friends in high school. And uh, really, it was one of those things, though, where everybody, it didn't matter who you were, I, most people I knew, whether you were the popular kid, whether you were the valedictorian, whether you were a bum, it didn't matter what you were, a jock, a nerd, whatever, a lot of people brought at least knives to school or something because that's what you did at our school. That was what you did in a, in a city school. And it's not like our school was the roughest in the district, although... Our school went into lockdown about three or four times in the four years that I was there. Um, we also had uh, a couple of uh, major, major incidents on our campus um, and a few right off campus that were student related. 
And uh, so we had a lot of things that happened on school grounds or in the vicinity of school grounds. And it just became sort of almost routine at that point. And so you were always afraid of getting beat up and uh, or, or having some kind of incident. So you brought a knife. I mean, I know I did. And at least for three years of my high school academic career. So I can understand why people would do that. Now, it never fell out of my bag. Nobody ever saw it. Nobody ever knew it. It's something that I've probably told two people that I ever did in the first place. Um, because and, and of course, you would have never, ever suspected me uh, to be a guy that would carry a knife. But I did. And I would never have brought a gun because I, I always know the risks of that. And if I was ever caught, I knew it would just be the end of me and my parents would have killed me. And yeah, they would have used that gun to shoot me. And so I wouldn't even be here doing the zip code famous Michael Groff show. Um, I would not even exist. So uh, <laughs> I'd be in a jail someplace and I deserve to be. It's sad that people have to bring weapons to school. But that is unfortunately the climate that we have. We have teachers that frankly, a lot of them mail it in. Some of them try very hard, but some of them mail it in because they know that these students are just There's so many bad kids. There's so many kids that don't have good parenting, parents that just don't give a crap. And, you know, it's really not that hard to be a parent. It's it's not. You know, as I know you're going to say, well, Mike, you don't have kids, Uh, you know, uh, and and believe me when I tell you, though, I know this. Uh, When I have children, I, I can tell you this. I'm going to operate under a very simple premise don't be a friggin' idiot with your kid. Don't neglect them. Don't sit there and, and assume that they're just going to be little angels all the time and actually get involved. Take a little time away from yourself. Step out of your own self-absorbed little world and get into the world of your kid. You know, you and and the mother of your child, you've got to you've got to just sort of step into your kid's world and and that's the problem. That's what's going on here. It's too many parents that are either they're working 24/7 in this. I know the recession's over. I know that that's what the president says. But believe it or not, there are still people that have to work very hard and very long hours so their kids don't get the attention they need. Or you have parents that, uh, just, frankly, don't give a crap. They, as, as far as they're concerned, they'll do just enough to make sure that the state doesn't take away their kids and anything beyond that, that's all you're going to get. And as a result, their kids are total douchebags. Their, their kids are total screw-ups. And, uh, or even if they're not total screw-ups, they're just not getting the help they need and therefore they can fall victim to uh, being in a gang. They can fall victim to uh, any one of a hundred things. And all the while, their parents are blissfully unaware of what's going on. And that's how a situation like this happens. And that's why our schools are so out of control. It's such bad parenting, such neglectful parenting. And really, frankly, a school system that also doesn't really give a crap. Um, we have too many administrators, too many cooks. We have uh, some teachers that have frankly mailed it in, as I mentioned. And uh, students that get lost in the shuffle, uh, they fall through the cracks or they're just passed through. Do you know how many students graduate high school that are illiterate? They are functionally illiterate and they have graduated high school. That should be impossible. We do that stuff all the time in the air and we get a great laugh out of it. How one third of the residents of the state of Kentucky are illiterate. 
But that's just sad. That's the United States of America. You've got people, you've got a third of an entire state's adult population that is illiterate. That should never happen in the 21st century in what is supposed to be the preeminent nation, the, the, the best country in the world. And yet we have so many students that graduate, they don't know basic math, they don't know basic science, they, don't, they can't even read some of them. And then we wonder why there are such problems in school and why they have to bring a gun. Well, that answers it right there. It's pretty simple. So that was this story in California. And I, I, I'm not trying to sit here and make excuses for the kid that brought the gun. I mean, he's going to get uh, the consequences that he has coming and he deserves them. And his parents are likely to get the consequences they have coming. But let's not make this an issue about, see, this is the problem. Once again, we have too many guns in this society. Oh, God. I mean, that's that's the old mating call of the, it's like the one-note Johnny that's out there, especially on the left. Let's face it, the people that come out and they say, it's the damn guns. It's their fault. Really, I don't know. We've had guns in this uh, society uh, for, well, 235 years and here in the United States uh, since the inception of the nation. Uh, granted, many years there were muskets, but even in the last, let's say, 75 years, we've had a lot of guns in this country. We have a lot of guns. Students didn't bring guns to school years and years and years ago, for the most part. And why not? Well, probably because it was a different culture, a different society, different expectations, a different upbringing, the kind of upbringing that I know I had growing up where you had hands-on parents that actually cared. And uh, I don't know. I feel that maybe my generation or, or even the one right before was sort of the last of that ilk. And now we have, we have a lot of just numbnut parents. And it's just, it's, that's a problem. That's why you have this going on. It's not because we have guns in our society. That is just the most spurious logic I've ever heard in my life. Ugh. Oh, you have guns. Okay, blame the inanimate object. Blame the gun. Don't try to be somewhat introspective. Don't try to take a look at the, the more, well, at the big picture. You're going to have the tunnel vision go, ah, see, it's the gun's fault. And why, why, blame the, why not just blame the bullet? Blame the gun manufacturer. Why not just blame, uh, I don't know, the laws of physics? Come on, let's, let's actually have a dialogue here about this and let's really look at the, the major problem here. And this is a major cultural issue. It's about parenting. It's about personal responsibility. It's about people that probably, frankly, um, really should get help. And they're just not getting it. I don't know. So that's uh, that was one of the other big breaking stories today. We have a lot of other stuff, too. We've got to talk about the, uh, the FCC had a major decision today. Uh, this isn't necessarily about net neutrality, although it is a very big issue that will impact the Internet. And we have to talk about that because obviously that affects not only my business, but the business of a lot of people I know. And uh, it could it really is going to affect just about everybody and uh, on some scale or another. So we have to get into that uh, big FCC decision today. And again, it just shows that it doesn't matter what party is in power. Um, well, we'll I'll, I'll just tease it like that and we'll talk about that. 
Also, there's just a ton of other stuff. Uh, President Hu from China coming to visit the White House, coming to visit President Barack Obama. And uh, what will happen? What will be the end result of that? Probably a big bunch of nothing. But we'll see. All right, there's more coming up. It's the Zip Code Famous Michael Groff Show. There aren't any words in a thesaurus or dictionary to describe how purely mediocre this show really is. Okay, can I get a translation? Because that was gibberish. It's the Zip Code Famous Michael Groff Show. MichaelGroff.com Segment number two. It's the zip code famous Michael Grob Show. Mike at KMGX.com, the email address. It's Mike at KMGX.com. That is also our PayPal address for your most generous monetary contributions to this program. AOL Instant Messenger, the screen name, Michael Grob Show. And of course, all of our other contact information and ways to get interactive with this program. Post about recent shows. Leave your comments, get heard, get noticed, talk with other uh, other Michael Grob Show listeners, all of that stuff. It's all up and available, plus all of our archives and, well, most of them and more at the one, the only, michaelgroff.com. Oh, man. I have a headache. Just apparently come on here. I'm, I'm all right. So this big decision from the FCC today, all this talk about net neutrality, well, this is kind of interesting, too. So the FCC, the panel, in their infinite wisdom, by a four-to-one decision today, uh, they approved the merger of NBC Universal and Comcast. Now, Comcast is one of the nation's largest internet service providers and a cable outlet as well. And they uh, decided, the panel, again, a four-to-one decision today, they approved this merger between the two giants. Now, 
There's a lot of questions that come about when you have this. You have a content provider merging with an internet service provider. You have a media conglomerate merging with an internet service conglomerate. What does that mean? What sort of ramifications are there? What's, and again, you know me, I'm not anti-business and I'm certainly not anti-merger and I'm certainly not about the government getting involved. However, you can understand where a conflict of interest may arise. And what I find most interesting about this, though, is the debate about it. And everybody talks about how, oh, the Republicans were for the deregulation of the communication biz, anything from TV, radio, etc., and how that's destroyed the mass media Meanwhile, we have more mass media outlets than ever. You have 900 channels of chrome-plated crap that comes in into your house. But, okay, let's just say I, I buy that argument. All right, so their solution is, well, let's get some progressives in there. Well, if I'm not mistaken now, the five-member panel of the FCC is three to two in favor of Democrats, which would mean that in today's decision, at least, mathematically, at least two Democrats would have had to vote Yes, on this merger between NBC and Comcast. So that would therefore mean that it doesn't matter what party is in power. They're going to go for the conglomerates. They're going to go for these uh, big media mergers. And I must say there is a conflict of interest. You might remember that uh, last year sometime there was a story. And I don't know if we ever even did this story on the show, but there was a story about Comcast and a dispute that they had uh, with Netflix. Netflix decided to change their business model. Now on Netflix, you don't even have to order and get a DVD delivered to your house now. A lot of their shows and their movies that they offer, because they don't just offer movies, they offer TV shows. A lot of their stuff, their content, you can now get streamed. So you don't have to order anything. You just pay your monthly subscription fee of whatever it is, nine bucks, and you can get access to all of these various streamed shows. Sometimes you have to order a DVD, but generally not. And so Comcast, who's also a provider, they also have a deal with uh, some, some uh, studios and everything to have uh, content sort of streamed on their service. They wanted to charge people. They wanted to change their pricing structure so that they could get a little bit more money out of it so that, uh, you know, it was a disincentive to use Netflix. You can see the conflict of interest. The, the Internet, and I've always said the Internet is the last bastion of sort of untethered, unrestricted communication. And it is very important that we keep the Internet as deregulated as possible. We have as many Internet service providers as possible. Now, ultimately... It all comes down to being filtered through about two pipes. Um, so I know people say, well, it's, it's really a, a cool story if you have all these different Internet service providers. But really, they're all going through just a couple of different um, routers, a couple of different uh, major providers. So I don't know how much it really matters. But I will say that once you start getting the government's hands involved in the Internet, then it's all over. Next thing you know, they're going to want to give you a license to blog. We've, we did that story on the show about how there was a woman in Philadelphia who had a blog going. And I guess she had some ads, you know, those little banner ads. She had those along the side of her blog site. And literally, what did she make? 50 bucks a month or maybe it was a year. I can't remember. She made some so minuscule amount of money that was just not even worth discussing. 
And she wasn't even doing it to make money. Maybe she was just doing it to pay her internet service provider bill. I don't know. But the point is, is that the city of Philadelphia comes along and says, oh, no, this is a business. You are making money off of this blog. We found out about it. So now in order to have this by the law of the city of Philadelphia, you have to have a license to run this blog. And so we've already done a story like that. So what's to stop the government, the feds from coming along going, well, you know, we ought to have these things regulated. And I know people sit here and they say, Mike, that will never happen. It's never going to come down to that. People just like people say that we'll never have the fairness doctrine again. Look, we had it once. I'm telling you, once you let the government get their foot wedged in the door, it's only a matter of time before they burst in. And the next thing you know, you have a complete regulated Internet. And I'm not just talking about the net neutrality issue and, and all of this about uh, who owns the fiber optic lines and who has to pay who for that and really who can use them, who can't. I'm not even talking about that right now. I'm just talking about blog sites, uh, podcasts like this one and other things. And it won't be long and somebody is going to have the bright idea to come along and go, well, uh, you know, you you made this podcast and you expressed this opinion Boy, I don't know. Maybe we need somebody to uh, have a, a counterpoint here. Or what if, let's say, let's say I want to have a candidate on my show. Now, as far as I know, the federal election laws don't cover the Internet or Internet broadcast. So let's say I want to have a candidate for a local or state or federal office on my show. Well, if the feds come in here and they start regulating the Internet, maybe they'll say, well, if you do a podcast and you have one of these candidates on, you have candidate X on, you have to give candidate Y and candidate Z equal time under federal election law. That could happen. Now, you have to do that on the radio and you have to do that on TV. But any other medium, as far as I know, and somebody could go ahead and check me on this and I very well could be wrong. Last I saw, and this was a couple of years ago, I looked into this. Last I saw, a podcast isn't covered under the purview of federal election law. So I could have whoever I want on. But I'm telling you, it's going to change eventually. And not only just that kind of stuff either, but we've done stories on the air about people wanting to pass legislation to make it so you have to have a license to blog or that uh, if you publish something that is potentially untrue in a blog, you can be sued. And I'm not just talking about libel or slander. But let's say I come on the air or I write, I do one of the write-ups on my show about, I don't know, I, I, say, uh, I say something like, well, you know, I tried some pharmaceutical drug. I tried drug X and I have to tell you, drug X really worked for me. It was great. Uh, I, I, my incredible depression that I feel on a daily basis, I no longer feel it at all. I am happy, motivated and stronger than ever before. And then somebody else takes it and they have a terrible experience and they say, well, you know, I read on Groff's blog or I heard on his podcast that if you take drug X, you're going to be great. And I didn't feel that I'm going to sue him. And you know, there are people that want that to exist. There are people that want you to be able to be held accountable just because you express an opinion on a blog or a podcast. Can you imagine? 
Imagine somebody comes by and they go, you know, Mike, I, uh, I, I tried your suggestion. Uh, and uh, as a result, and meanwhile, it's not even a suggestion. It would just be like, gee, you know, I tried drug X and I thought it was great. And then somebody does it and they had a, a terrible experience and their life is now ruined. And then they turn around and they sue me. And there are people that want that to happen. I'm telling you, the internet is the last bastion of hope. And when I see these mergers go down, and again, I'm not anti-business or anti-merger or anti-anything, but when I see this, it does make my skin crawl a little bit. And it makes me say, well, I start to get worried about whose best interest is being kept in mind here. It's a dangerous situation. It's a slippery slope that we're going down here with these internet service providers. But this is not really a partisan issue because clearly you can't just blame Republicans for deregulation because now you have a Democrat White House and up until just a few days ago, you had a Democrat House and Senate and you have Democrats that are controlling the Federal Communications Commission. Therefore, anything that happens related to this merger, you cannot blame on conservatives this one. This is all about the progressives that decided that they were going to okay this, which means it's not a partisan issue, which means it's not about party. It's about money. It's about the green. And that's, yeah, that's the only party that matters. The green party, not the real green party. I'm talking about the, the money party. I just think there's such a golden opportunity for the expansion of the internet here in this country and for more Wi-Fi, and you know, we have these 3G, we have this 4G network, we have all this stuff uh, going up, and uh, I, I don't know, our internet technology in many respects is behind nations like Japan, and I don't know, this kind of thing just doesn't bode well for it, I don't think. All right, now it's on to the portion where we talk about time-wasting going on in the government, and there's no bigger waste of time right now in the House of Representatives than the John Boehner-led House going to repeal the Obama health care plan. Now you might say, wait a minute, Mike, what are you talking about? I thought you didn't like the Obamacare plan. Well, I don't. I mean, really, most of the country doesn't. Like six out of ten Americans don't like the Obamacare thing, all right? We, we know this, but I think it's a complete waste of time. It's, it's nothing but political theater for the Republicans in the House to get up there and talk about repealing, and they're going to pass it. It'll pass the House, and then it'll either die in the Senate or it'll die when it gets to the president's desk. He's certainly going to, you know, he won't sign on that. So if you know this, what's the point of doing it? Oh, to show your constituents that you're against the Obamacare? They already know that, but they also know that it's a complete waste of time. You're going to waste days, potentially weeks, on a repeal to a plan that you're never going to get repealed anyway. And then they come out and they call it the, the job-killing Obamacare plan. The, the repeal of the job-killing Obamacare. Like, what's the point, guys? Come on. Really, grow up. Let's stop with the nonsense. Why don't, we, why don't we do this? You don't like the Obamacare plan. Here's what you do if you don't like it. You guys are the House. You write the budget. Don't fund it. If that's really how you feel about the Obamacare plan and you're not interested in it, you guys write the budget, so don't fund it. There. Problem solved. Remember, the House of Representatives holds the nation's checkbook. 
They're the ones that ultimately make the decision about where money is spent and on what money is spent, how much is allocated. If you are really against something, it's just like the years ago, the Democrats who always said that they don't like the war and they're tired of the war in Afghanistan, they're tired of the war in Iraq. As I said on the air, I said, all right, put the money where your mouth is or, or don't put the money where your mouth is. Show us that you're against it. Instead of uh, putting up these, these faux sort of arguments, then just don't fund it anymore. Cut off the funding. Cut off the funding to Obamacare. That's how you repeal something. You just don't give it any money. Then it's still the law of the land, but you can't do anything about it because there's no funding for it. It's all political theater. And when it comes down to it, people, they don't have the balls to, to put the actions behind the words that they had up there. Come on, give me a break. All right, uh, it is. It's a total waste of time, though. And there, and you know, there are Democrats that are against it too, because there are some Democrats that feel that the healthcare initiative didn't go far enough. They feel that they wanted a single payer system, or they wanted a public option, or they wanted at least an improvement over what wound up passing, which was a very watered down bill. Even Barack Obama said that it was not uh, the ideal healthcare plan that he had in mind. Um, but he totally caved. He totally signed it. And, you know, the House and Senate pushed it through when they had a supermajority of Democrats. So, you know, you guys get what you get. But uh, the Republicans are never going to be able to get this repealed because in order to repeal it, number one, you'd have to get it through the House. OK, that you can do. You'd have to get it through the Senate, which is probably impossible. Even if you get it through there, then you have to get it. Uh, the, the, the president will veto it. And then if you want to override his veto you need what a two-thirds majority never going to happen never going to happen you guys are i mean really this is just a show i thought the the conservatives i thought these republicans when they came in there they were going to end this crap see once again this just goes to show you already the republicans from 94 to 2006 they spent a lot of money uh, they, they went through a bunch of garbage with the impeachment of President Clinton and they wasted time with that. And then we had the war in Afghanistan, the war in Iraq, and that just spiraled out of control. And the Democrats came along. They said, well, we're going to be fiscally responsible and we're going to be the most we're going to end this culture of corruption that's going on. This is going to be a, a clean run, transparent House of Representatives. That's what Nancy Pelosi said. Well, guess what? They spent more money than the Republicans. They spend more money than anybody in the history of the United States from 2006 to 2010. We spent more money in that time than we spent in the first 200 years of this nation. And yet they're going to talk about fiscal responsibility. And now the Republicans are coming back in there saying, well, you know, we're ending the games and we're ending all this stuff. And the first thing out of the box they do is they go... All right, we're going to show our constituents how serious we are. We're going to repeal the Obamacare plan. And then we're going to rename, we're going to name this appeal, uh, the repeal to the job-killing Obamacare. Come on, guys. You have no chance of getting it done. It's worthless. It's, it's like the war on drugs. You're just wasting resources and valuable time that could be used for anything else. Anything. We could be having meaningful, substantive debate. The Republicans could be trying to push through some other initiatives. But instead, they're sitting here with this Obamacare repeal. And then, you know, the Democrats, they're probably going to play along. I mean, some of them are probably going to be like, all right, you know, why not? I mean, it's not like it's got any chance anyway. Who cares? 
or maybe the Democrats will uh, put up a lot of uh, a fight uh, to it as well. I mean, who knows? Right now, I just see this and, and I just shake my head and I go, well, see, this is again, we're back to politics as usual. It doesn't matter what party's in charge. It's politics as usual. I've got a lot more stuff to get into still. As you can see, the blood is boiling here on a Tuesday. There's a lot more still to get to. Mike at KMGX.com, the email address. That's also our PayPal address. And uh, for more information about this show, you know, the one, the only MichaelGroff.com. And we'll be back right after this. The Zip Code Famous Michael Graff Show. You're young and you got your health. What do you want with the job? The Michael Graff Show. Just won't stop touching me And I wait here Another time Like a thousand times before Dropping out and fading But I keep on wanting more Third and final segment of the Zip Code Famous Michael Grav Show on a Tuesday, January 18th, 2011. Big weekend of NFL football coming up. Man, playoffs. They were actually pretty good games this weekend. Uh, much better games than the previous week and very competitive. I'm looking forward to uh, this weekend's games. You've got Bears-Packers, the very first time that they're facing each other in the playoffs since 1941. You have uh, the Jets and the Steelers. That should be a great game because the Jets beat the Steelers. What was that, like week uh, 14, week 15, something like that, when they won 22-17. So they won earlier this year. So it should be great. Um, of course, it does set up the nightmare scenario of the Packers playing the Steelers in the Super Bowl, which means it's unwatchable because I hate both the Packers and the Steelers. So, yes, I will be the biggest Bears and Jets fan ever this weekend. And, you know, it's not my nature to root for the Bears either, being the Vikings fan, but I'm going to have to because, well, uh, you know, I just I hate the Packers. So it's that simple. Uh, great matchups. Maybe we'll break them down more this weekend. I just thought I'd give it a mention. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And, you know, the thing is, these are games they could really go either way. I think they're going to be competitive matchups. I don't foresee blowouts happening here, but God, you, you just never know uh, that this league is so crazy that way. But uh, I just don't want to see the Packers and the Steelers in the Super Bowl. I just can't stand either team. All right. Now, this is a really cool story. There's a kid at the University of Colorado. He's a student there, 20 year old named Nick Ramos. He wanted to make a statement about the high cost of tuition. So he paid his entire tuition, $14,300 in $1 bills. <laughs> he walked in with a duffel bag full of $1 bills, just plopped it up on the table, said, yeah, I'm here to pay my bill. And everybody looked at him like, oh, my God, what is this? 
Um, he just said that he thought it'd be something kind of cool, and it is sort of a statement. It's just uh, reflecting how much. I guess it's 30 pounds. It's over 30 pounds of money. He said that he had to go to bank after bank after bank to get that many ones. It's obviously very hard to collect that many ones. He, he could only get like one or $200 at a time from any one bank. So it must have taken him uh, quite a while to amass this pile of cash. But uh, some people thought that it was the coolest thing ever. Other people said that he was crazy uh, for doing it. Yeah, he is a little bit crazy, but I think that's a, uh, that's a cool statement. And uh, it really illustrates the, um, the increasing cost of, uh, of tuition. And he, they even made a, a YouTube video. Let me see if I can pull this up. This is, a, uh, this is their, uh, their little, let's see here. This is their YouTube video that they made about this. Let's see. Let's see what we can get out of this. My name is Nick Ramos. I am a sophomore at CU. And I am paying my tuition a little differently than I have in past years. Uh, before I would use a check, this year I'm paying in all ones. It's over $14,000 in ones, weighing in at almost 30 pounds. I will be carrying uh, the money in by hand, most likely in a suitcase um, with my bodyguard here. I'm Dan Order, by the way. Um, it's quite a lot of dollars. Um, and while it might seem like it's for kind of a useless cause where it's not doing much just the sheer volume just looking at this really sends a message um, and money does talk and tuition is extremely high for out-of-state um, you know it's only going up for in-state and this is a good way I feel that might be able to send some sort of message that's different than a letter or you know talking to someone face to face and it gives me a much deeper appreciation for the money that my parents, you know, give me just to go to school and, you know, that they're willing to make those sacrifices and be able to see that a physical form like that is very unique and very cool. Makes you not want to skip class. I mean, <laughs> yeah. We, we had quite a sum of money just sitting on our laps and... What did we calculate it to? It was, I think what we figured out was $65 per hour that you, uh, you know, if you miss class, that's $65 per hour. Uh, I've gone with Nick to each of the uh, banks that we've gone to. And we have got every sort of reaction. We have got, that's the coolest thing I've ever heard. We've got, come back and tell me how it goes. You know, I wish I did that. And then we've got, you're crazy. We've got, you know, why and... And is this the uh, magic bag you're carrying your dough around in when you collect it? This is, we, we've changed bags, but this is, uh, this is definitely one of them. You know, they wouldn't give us everything they had. They were kind of holding out on us. But here we have some ones, and I've got a few envelopes of um, 1,000 in hundreds. Then I have envelopes of $500 in 20s. Um, and that's because these are the smallest bills they could get us. So we are going to head over to the local other big banks, Chase, U.S. Bank, and pay them a visit and play the whole game over again and get to see some funny looks and answer a lot more questions. <laughs> Hopefully it turns out well and we get some laughs and maybe some seriousness out of it too and people will kind of think about how much it really does cost to go to see you. I think that's great. I, I, I'm laughing at it. It makes a great statement. Something kind of cool. Um, I <laughs> I would have never done it, but then again, I, I had my uh, college paid for. But uh, hey, you know, I, I'm I'm all for statements like that. I think that's really funny. 
Uh, tuition has gone up insanely high in this state. You know, it's almost been 10 years since I've graduated college. I got to tell you something. I know Arizona State University, when I went there, uh, tuition was in-state tuition. I can't remember now. It must have. It was in the ballpark of what? $2,000 maybe? Not even. Um, I know it's, what, about four times that now, I think. I really couldn't tell you, but I know it's a lot higher than when I went. I know it's much, it's at least three times higher than when I finished school there. So this is just another way to sort of let people know, hey, uh, tuition is getting a little out of control. It's funny. <laughs> you imagine some crackpot shows up with $14,300 in $1 bills. I, I think it's great, though. I, I applaud the kid. We had another major earthquake today in the southwestern portion of Pakistan. A 7.4 on the Richter scale rocked the area. Right now, uh, reports of casualties, injuries, damage seems kind of sparse. So uh, it doesn't appear that it was a widespread catastrophe. However, um, the sort of initial reports, I really don't have a whole lot, but this happened just earlier this afternoon, again, in southwest Pakistan. You know, maybe uh, the 2012 crap, maybe the end of the world is drawing nearer. We've got birds just randomly dropping dead, just falling out of the sky, just dead. We've got thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of fish just randomly dying all over the place. We have uh, another just blizzard after blizzard after blizzard that just continues to hit the Midwest and the East Coast. And then on top of all that, now we're having another round of severe earthquakes. This is, this is just a little more than a year after the huge earthquake that rocked Port-au-Prince in Haiti. And you know, a year later, that place is just as bad off as it was a year ago. Still a ton of um, a ton of people homeless. So we're talking hundreds of thousands of people homeless, still tents uh, set up everywhere, uh, disease, still raping going on, pillaging going on, all sorts of uh, just uh, just a big horrendous mess still in Haiti a year later. So I don't know. Maybe the 2012 stuff is true. Of course, uh, this does coincide with the with the full moon going on. Uh, you know, uh, these major earthquakes, they do always seem to happen, or at least generally they seem to happen in and around the new or the full moon. The greatest gravitational pull is on the Earth. So, yeah, it's that science for you. It'll get you every time. Um, let's see here. What else is happening? Oh, Regis announced that he is retiring. The 79-year-old Regis Philbin said that uh, after his, uh, his contract is up, uh, he will be walking away from Regis and Kelly. You know, he holds the record with more than 15,000 hours on camera. That's, uh, that's Regis, um, you know, between his Regis and K Kelly and before that Regis and Kathalie. Of course, he had Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. He hosted a bunch of other stuff. He's been on, just, he's, he owns TV. He's like Dick Clark. The guy has been on TV forever, and he spent a ton of time on there. But uh, I guess the guy, I guess when you get to be that age, you just finally go, look, I, I love TV. I'll, well, I, I love television. No, he wants to walk away, and uh, I don't blame him. 79 years old. I hope I'm, listen, I don't even think I'm going to be alive when I'm 79 years old, okay? But let's just say I am for the sake of argument. Let's say I'm alive at 79 years old. Do you think I'm going to be sitting here doing this podcast at 79? Probably. Pro uh, it's the zip code famous micrograph show. <laughs> doing this, uh, got to go over to the dial. I'm sitting here on my dialysis machine doing a podcast. 
I'm sure that's kind of how it's going to... If I live to be 79, I'm probably going to sound horrible. My voice already sounds bad today. I don't know what's going on with that. Um, went for a long walk this afternoon. So that kind of dried out my throat. And I, uh, I do feel kind of parched at the moment. So let's see. We do have other stuff happening too. Oh, this here's an interesting story. This is sort of a uh, change of pace. A D.C.-based organization of black conservatives is calling for an end to all public funding to national public radio after a Hispanic commentator used the term gringos in a reference to white people in connection with the shootings in Arizona that left Congresswoman Gabrielle Giffords severely wounded. Project 21 chairman Michael Massey told 630 WMAL that gringo, quote, is the equivalent in the minds of many to white people as the N-word is to blacks. You know, I got to tell you something. If you call me a gringo, I really don't care. It really doesn't bother me. If you call me gringo, it, I'm not, I don't view it as the same thing as the, I don't know. Maybe it's because all the slurs against white people just never have bothered me. Somebody calls me a cracker. I go, okay, so I don't know. Maybe I'm not as affected by slurs, by words. If I were a black guy, maybe I would be offended by the N word. Maybe I wouldn't. You know, there's some black guys that aren't. I don't know. I'm just not really offended by that kind of stuff. But this guy, this guy, this, these black conservatives are offended that a Hispanic guy used a white slur on NPR. Quote, in light of what happened to Juan Williams less than three months ago, NPR staff should be ashamed of this uh, unambiguous and duplicitous double standard, said Massey. Former NPR commentator Juan Williams was fired by NPR for saying that it makes him nervous to see Muslims getting on the same flight as him. In the January 12th segment titled Across America, Latino Community Signs a Size with Relief, featured on the program All Things Considered, Daisy Hernandez, a writer on race and politics in the New York Times, said, quote, it's safe to say there was a collective sigh of brown relief when the Tucson killer turned out to be a gringo. Had the shooter been Latino, media pundits wouldn't be discussing the impact of nasty politics on a young man this week. They'd be demanding an even more stringent anti-immigrant policy, she says. I admit, sadly, that it was only after I saw the shooter's gringo surname that I was able to go on and read the rest of the news about those who lost their lives on Saturday and those who, like Representative Giffords, were severely wounded, said Hernandez in, in uh, her commentary. You know, this is the weird thing, and I've heard this comment from other people, too. People that seem to indicate they only care about the race. They're, they're like, they were so relieved that the shooter was a white guy. And they go, man, could you imagine if that if that had been a black guy or if that had been a Hispanic especially? Oh, there would have been a call for illegals. Oh, this it would have been a whole different kind of story. I'm so happy that it was a white person. Like, who says that kind of thing? Who says, gee, you know, I was really happy that it was a white guy. I was really relieved. Like, who says that? I'm sure Gabrielle Giffords isn't too happy that it was a white person, a black person, a green, a brown, a yellow person. That wouldn't have mattered to Gabrielle Giffords because she almost died and six people actually did. And more than a dozen others were injured as a result of this. 
What a stupid take that is. Well, gee, uh, you know, I breathed a sigh of relief. I'm not offended by the word gringo. I'm offended at the fact that somebody could say something so stupid as to say, well, I'm happy that it wasn't a brown person. I'm happy that the last name wasn't Gonzalez or Ramirez. I'm very happy about that. I'm very happy that it was, you know, that it was a Jared Loughner, a white dude. Speaking of, did you see 60 Minutes this week? Uh, The 60 Minutes story. This is... uh, Man, they did a whole presentation. They showed all his YouTube stuff and where he went to the college. And they interviewed all these people. Man, it just shows you that this guy, it has nothing to do with politics. It has nothing to do with Sarah Palin. It has nothing to do with talk shows and the media and Fox News and MSNBC and left wing or right wing. It has to do with a guy that's crazy. A guy that is nuts that's what it has to do with it's a story about an insano who just who concocted a whole slew of scenarios and he just he he just decided he was gonna go ape crap and he shot up a, a whole bunch of people he had it in his mind that he was gonna kill a congresswoman and he almost succeeded in that he did succeed in killing six other people he wanted to inflict mayhem um Everybody thought he was a creepo, and and it turns out he was. And, um, you know, everybody's talking about the mental health laws in this country and what we should do and hippo laws and what could have been done to prevent this. Look, what would I don't know what could have been done to prevent it, maybe, is if he had a better upbringing and if his father wasn't uh, a crazed uh, lunatic as well. I mean, his, his dad apparently throughout the neighborhood has a pretty bad reputation. Um, I I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and blame his father and his mother, though. I'm just going to say that that probably contributed to an environment where he got into this weird area that he got into and he had his skull shrine in the backyard. Like, what parents... If I had a kid living at home that was 22 years old and I saw a skull shrine out in the back, kid would be on the street pretty fast. Or I would have called the mental institution myself and I would have said, yeah, I think my kid is a danger to himself and others because he built a skull shrine in the backyard. I'm thinking maybe that would have been clue number one, that there was a potential problem with him. Actually, clue number one probably came a lot sooner than the skull shrine. I'm guessing back to the teenagers, uh, his girlfriend from high school was interviewed and even she said uh, that he was constantly on these various rants, uh, And sometimes they were just unintelligible and he would talk about Hitler and he would talk about the government and he would talk about this and that. Not once, though, did he ever bring up Glenn Beck, Rush Limbaugh or progressive hosts or anything. It wasn't about left and right. It was about a guy that was out of his mind. And, you know, he'll uh, do some time in a mental institution and then he'll be back out on the streets of society. Sounds great, doesn't it? All right. That's about going to do it. Man, did this show fly by? Mike at KMGX.com. That is our email address. It's Mike at KMGX.com. AOL Instant Messenger, our screen name, Michael Groff Show. Of course, all of our other contact information and more is available at the one, the only, MichaelGroff.com. And, um... You can also donate to us via PayPal on the website or, uh, well, you know the the drill. 
Our PayPal address for your monetary contributions, Mike at KMGX.com. We take we take any any donation. It helps us stay on the air, keep the show going, keep the site going. We have to tithe to the website goddess. You know how it is. All right. Um, later this week, I guess we'll probably, uh, we haven't taken a look at the pop chart in a while. We probably should do that. I guess everyone's ears do need a little bit of, uh, <laughs> of torture from time to time. So we should probably look at the pop chart. And uh, got a lot of other stupid news I still have to get into. A lot of things still to talk about this week. Oh, man, I've got a couple of great stories sitting on my desk. I keep forgetting to do these. Oh, we'll do this. Uh, I got. Man, I just got to write this down so I remember to do this next time. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure to serve you. I appreciate even one minute of your time, let alone a whole hour or two or however long we ramble on. It's the zip code famous Michael Groff show. Tell a friend, tell an enemy, tell everybody. Just spread it around. MichaelGroff.com, the place to go. And we'll see you next time. Have a great night, everybody.